Blog Talk Radio. We will be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And, of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, the number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. That's blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. You can send messages to the show on Twitter at go for again and while you're there on Twitter at go for again give us a follow at go for again G O F O R I T G A N T Great show lined up for you today. It's gonna to be me and only me and I'm gonna be breaking down a lot of things today. A lot of great things going on in the world of sports. I mean the NBA trade deadline has come, has gone and uh, some some moves that at least one move that, that really sticks out, and one move that I'm going to talk about here today. And also, we're going to talk NFL Combine, a lot of things going on there. Johnny Menzel, Michael Sam, Jadavian Clowney, and these guys. All those, you know, those are the names, they're the big names uh, that many are talking about when you're talking about this NFL draft, but it's going down in Indy. And it went down in Indy a few days ago, NBA trade deadline, the Indiana Pacers. This is a team, obviously, at this point in time are going for it because they made a move this week uh, sending Danny Granger and his expiring contract to the Philadelphia 76ers for Evan Turner and LaVoy Allen. And the bottom line is this. If you're the Indiana Pacers, you're going for this, and you believe that one of the ways that you can go for this is by getting home field advantage throughout the Eastern Conference, getting that number one seed in the playoffs. And a lot of Pacers players have been talking about this uh, in the off season and throughout the course of this season, and Roy Hibbert has talked about it numerous times, and you know he talked about the, the importance of getting that number one seed to beat the Miami Heat. And Charles Barkley said it; he, he thinks that this puts the Indiana Pacers over the top, and then that this is going to go to the Pacers now. He gives the Pacers the edge, and and I'm not too comfortable saying that at this point in time because I believe. At this point in time, if I look at this situation, the Miami Heat are there and will continue to be there. And here's the reality of the Miami Heat. I look at the Miami Heat, simply put, Dwayne Wade and his health. If the health of Dwayne Wade is good, then the Miami Heat have a great opportunity to three-peat. If Dwayne Wade isn't healthy then the Miami Heat won't beat the Indiana Pacers in a seven-game series in the Eastern Conference Finals. Because let's look at the Eastern Conference. The reality is we all know that's what it's going to lead up to. The Eastern Conference, it's all about what's going to happen with the Miami Heat and the Indiana Pacers. There are no other teams to think of that will be able to contend in the Eastern Conference. That's just the reality of the situation. It's coming down to Miami. It's coming down to the Indiana Pacers. And these are the two teams, the two best teams in the Eastern Conference. It's going to come down to them. And obviously what we've seen over the past two seasons with these two teams battling in the playoffs, Heat beating the Pacers in six two years ago and then beating them in seven last year, those are some tough series. Not easy series. For both teams. The Pacers took the Miami Heat to the limit. But the Miami Heat and their greatness were able to overcome the Pacers. But here's the reality of the situation. It comes down to one man, Dwayne Wade. What is he going to be? I've been saying that since the beginning of the season. I said at the beginning of the season that the reality of the situation with the Miami Heat is that if this team is healthy, and I, what I mean by health, 
Dwayne Wade, if his health is at where it needs to be, then you have to favor the Miami Heat because they have arguably they have the best player in the game in LeBron James. And when Dwayne Wade is, is healthy, you have at least a top 10, top 15 NBA caliber player. And when Chris Bosh is going, you have at least a top 20, top 25 NBA caliber player. So if these guys are flowing, if these guys are flowing, then the reality is for the Miami Heat, they have a good shot of repeating. Even if they do or don't have home court advantage throughout these playoffs, they have a shot of getting that three-peat. The Indiana Pacers, they need home court advantage. The Heat don't. And now you have the Pacers now. You're bringing in Evan Turner. This is a guy who's had a good season for the Philadelphia 76ers, averaging 17 points a game for the Philadelphia 76ers. But I want to... I want to caution you on everything when it comes to Evan Turner. Yes, Evan Turner putting up 17 points per game. Yes, Evan Turner, the leading scorer for the Philadelphia 76ers. But here's also the thing with Evan Turner. Evan Turner got 35 minutes per game for the 76ers. He's going to get that with the Pacers. He might get he might get twenty nine to thirty. He might get twenty five to thirty minutes a game. Evan Turner shot the ball fifteen times a game for the Philadelphia seventy sixers. Is he gonna be able to shoot the ball fifteen times for the Pacers? Probably not. But he is gonna be on the second unit, so he has a better opportunity to score points against uh lesser players. But now you have another guy that can go at Dwayne Wade and LeBron James, another guy they have to worry about in terms of defending, another guy that can, you know, take some energy from LeBron and D-Wade. You have another one of those guys in Dwayne Wade. And not Dwayne Wade, Nevin Turner. The question I have with Evan Turner, he's a guy who's at his best, at his best when the ball's in his hand. He's not going to have the ball in his hand as much as he's had it in his hand with the Philadelphia 76ers. He's not going to be able to put up 15 shots a game the way he did with the Philadelphia 76ers. So the interesting part now is how does he mesh with the Indiana Pacers now? How does he mesh with this team? And hopefully if you're the Pacers, it's a good fit. But seemingly you look at this whole situation with Evan Turner, and I definitely believe it's an upgrade from Danny Granger because Danny Granger wasn't the same type of player and was still battling back from leg injuries. So obviously he's not the same type of player. Evan Turner, he's a guy now that's going to definitely definitely be motivated and rejuvenated by the possibilities of playing for an NBA title. That's enough to motivate a lot of players, and that's probably going to motivate Evan Turner and even LaVoy Allen, for that matter. I mean, this is a great opportunity for these guys. And you look at these guys, I mean – if, if you're these guys, Evan Turner, LaVoy Allen, even Spencer Hall, for that matter, who was traded from the Philadelphia 76ers to the uh, Cavaliers, even if you're that guy, for that matter, you got to be excited right now because guess what? You went to a team that's one of the worst teams in basketball, second worst record in basketball. If you're Evan Turner and LaVoy Allen now, you went to a team with the best record in the Eastern Conference. The best record. So in reality, you woke up in a better place. A much better place. A much better place. So you went to bed Wednesday night. Your team on a nine-game losing streak. Your team, second worst record in basketball. And your team seemingly looking to next year and beyond. You went to bed in that situation. You wake up, and at 3 o'clock on Thursday, your situation becomes much better. Your situation went from garbage to gold, and you woke up an Indiana Pacer 
not woke up, but at 3 o'clock you became an Indiana Pacer, and now you're fighting for a championship. That's got to be exciting. One thing I'll say about Evan Turner, he's played in the playoffs before, and he's a guy that's not a, not afraid of the moment. He's definitely not afraid of the moment. He's a tough kid, definitely not afraid of the moment. So I'm interested to see how, how he does in this particular situation. I'm interested from the standpoint, again, he he shot the ball 15 times a game. Obviously, he's not going to have that many attempts in Indy. The, the, the attempts are going to go down. You wonder if the minutes are going to go down slightly. And with that being said, how is he going to mesh with those guys? Because he's an individual who likes to have the ball in his hands. So he's going to have to adjust, and it may be an adjustment period. But you have 20-some-odd games to make that adjustment with the hope now you go to the playoffs, and once you're there in the playoffs, everything turns out all right. And I'm going to get back to this situation. I'm going to, and, and I just want to say this, and I'm going to touch on this before we get out of here. When it's all said and done, will this be a good trade for the Indiana Pacers? I'm going to tell you something that may have you thinking twice about this trade from a Pacers standpoint. I'm going, to have, I'm going to say something a little later on that may have you thinking that maybe this was not a good move for the Indiana Pacers, but we'll talk about that later on in the show. Make sure you stick around for that. But before we get to that, I want us to go to the Sixers now. Philadelphia 76ers have broken their team down to, to, to the ground. They're a team at this point in time who is looking towards the future. This is a team that's looking to be bad, and they are bad. Arguably, your two best players, and Evan Turner and Spencer Halls, were traded away Thursday. And now you're looking towards the future. Your hopes is to get the worst record in basketball so you can have your pick of Joel Embiid, possibly, of Andrew Wiggins, of Jabari Parker, Julius Randle, to name a few. You want that now you have an opportunity to to have or have a better opportunity to make that happen for you. That's a good thing if you're the Philadelphia seventy sixers. They acquired a bunch of second rounders, I believe five second rounders. They're gonna have two lottery picks next season. More than likely. They're gonna have two lottery picks. And you have it's almost like you're gonna have three lottery picks. Because Maryland's Noel, who didn't give you anything this year and had to play one single minute, will be back next year. So if you're the Philadelphia 76, as far as I'm concerned, the future is bright. You got some cap room. You, you have some assets in terms of draft picks. You seemingly have your point guard of the future, Michael Carter-Williams. You possibly have your center of the future, Maryland's Noel. And now you have an opportunity to get some wing players in there. Could be Jabari Parker. Could be Andrew Wiggins. I mean, and now you you put that into the mix. You're building something in Philadelphia. And and I heard people talk about, hey, maybe you can, uh, with all this cap space, maybe you can run make a run at two max players. I don't think it's happening. I don't think LeBron James or or, or Carmelo Anthony would come to the situation that is Philadelphia at this point in time. And why would they? I mean, the Sixers are in rebuilding mode. So even if they came, if LeBron James came to the Sixers last year and they added all those pieces in terms of Wiggins or Parker and to go along with what they already have in Carter, Williams, and Norlands Noel, does that make the Sixers a championship-caliber team? Probably not. You're probably going to need a little bit more than that. I mean, we've kind of seen that with LeBron James and Cleveland. We kind of saw that. So you're probably going to need a little more than that. You're going to need a little more than that. So as far as I'm concerned, any thought in Philadelphia, and I'm a Philadelphia 76ers fan, but I'm, I'm a realist as well. And reality tells me that there's no way I'm getting LeBron James. There's no way I'm getting a Carmelo Anthony. There's no way it's going to happen for me. I, I know I'm being real about the situation. It ain't happening for me. That's reality. Teams like the Philadelphia 76ers, they have to build through the draft. And this is the way they got to do it. you got to break this whole thing down to build it back up. The Sixers have broken this whole thing down 
And now they're building this thing all, all the way back up. And hopefully, as a Sixers fan, this process, however long it takes, hopefully this process will lead to at least a contending team, if not a, a championship. Hopefully. But if I'm the six, if you're the Sixers, your that your whole motive on Thursday, with the NBA trade deadline in your face, your motive was to get assets and draft picks, and to to break this thing down. Evan Turner was not the future of the Philadelphia 76ers. Spencer Halls was not the future of the Philadelphia 76ers. I mean, you have Thaddeus Young, who stayed around. Dad Young stayed around. You could say lucky for him. You could say unfortunately for him. Depending on this thing turns out, we don't know what we're saying. But in terms of if you're Thaddeus Young at this point, you obviously you got to be a little frustrated because now you're in rebuilding mode and you're locked in with the Sixers for a couple years. You're in rebuilding mode. And you have to deal with this situation. You have to play on a bad basketball team. You're going to have to take some lumps. And who knows? Who knows if Thaddeus Young will even be around when this whole thing turns around? Who knows? Thaddeus Young may not even be around when the Sixers situation gets better. He might not even be around. So with that being said, if I'm him, obviously I'm not happy. I'm none too happy, none too pleased about what's transpiring here. But what are you going to do? It is what it is, and at the end of the day, he is getting paid. So that's always a good thing. But the bottom line is this, the Philadelphia 76ers have made their situation better after Thursday night. A lot of other small trades, nothing really of note. Um, you know, there was talk Kevin Love could be moved. That didn't happen. Um, Pau Gasol didn't get moved. Rondo didn't get moved. There was some of those, some of that talk going around, but none of that transpired. None of that came down and went down. But the biggest move again was Granger for Evan Turner. And, and, and make sure you stick around because I'll tell you why. A lot of people are lauding this trade. Charles Barkley says this puts the Indiana Pacers over the top. I'm here to tell you that. This trade actually could be one of the worst things that happened to the Indiana Pacers, and I'll tell you why as we progress in this show. I want to go to the NFL Combine that's going on this weekend in Indiana. A lot of great things going on. Obviously, a lot of people, the attention's on Johnny Manziel. And Johnny Manziel yesterday, he he uh, weighed in, and, and they got his weight, they got his height, and he was under six foot. Johnny Manziel said he would be 72 inches, would be, which would be six foot, but he turned out to be 5'11", one, three quarters or something like that. Bottom line is he's under six foot. And in a National Football League as a quarterback, you don't want to be under six foot. That's not a good situation for you. The, the prototypical quarterback is not six foot. It's just not. So, but I will say this about Johnny Menzel. He picked a great time to be less than six foot, especially with, with Russell Wilson and what happened with Russell Wilson and what Russell Wilson did for the Seattle Seahawks. Russell Wilson won a championship. So this is a great time. If you're six foot and under as a quarterback in the National Football League, this is a great time for you. This is a great time for you. This is a great time to come out. Johnny Menzel picked a great time to come on out. He picked a great time. Russell Wilson, under six foot, and Russell Wilson has just won a Super Bowl. So guess what now? Johnny Menzel, hey, at first, and obviously it's not something we think highly of, 
a person who is under six foot, a quarterback who is under six foot. But guess what? History tells us, and recent history tells us, which, which helps us, which helps Johnny Manziel, recent history tells us that, with that being said, with, with being under front, recent history tells you, and Russell Wilson will tell you, and it show you that just because he's under and you're under six foot doesn't mean that you can't be successful in this league. Doesn't mean you can't win a title in this league. What was it, 1970, the last time a quarterback under six foot went in the first round? So that kind of tells you everything you need to know in terms of quarterbacks under six foot. That, 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 that tells you all you need to know. It's not something that NFL GMs and coaches, scouts believe is the blueprint for success. Russell Wilson was 5'10". 5'10". He played much bigger than 5'10". He made many plays for the Seattle Seahawks, but he was 5'10". So if Johnny Menzel, and obviously also his hands were were one of the bigger hands out there, bigger than Blake Bortles, bigger than Teddy Bridgewater, the other two quarterbacks who he's essentially competing with, in that first round. So his hands were bigger than those guys, which is a benefit to Johnny Manziel. A lot of things are, are I think, you know, when it comes to Johnny Manziel, my, my questions are somebody off the field. This is a guy seemingly and loved having a good time, loved the party scene, but that also could be a byproduct of, of age, of being on a college campus, having a little money in your pocket, which he does and did. So that could be that. And then, and he's obviously going to have money in his pocket on the next level, but maybe he'll understand the trappings uh, of these things because this is a guy who won the Heisman last year, and essentially he was a celebrity quarterback not only last year but this year as well. He was a celebrity-type quarterback. So it was almost like he was a pro quarterback already in terms of the pressure that was on him, in terms of the microscope that was on him. So in a lot of ways, he could be used to all, all these things, and these are the type of things, look, I've been there, done that type deal. Now it's time to buckle down. Now it's time to do what i got to do to be successful, do what i got to do to make it happen on the NFL level. My question with Johnny Menzel is, is that. Another question is his, his pocket presence. I said it before, I'll say it again, the bottom line in the National Football League, you have to be able to throw through, from the pocket. You have to be able to throw from the pocket if you want to be a successful quarterback in this league. Bottom line. If he can do that, if he can do that, then the bottom, I don't see, obviously he seems to have the moxie. He, he, he seems, he, he's, he's a gunslinger. Farvesque, some have said, compared him to. But he is a gunslinger. He likes to take chances. He's a playmaker. Will translate. Will it translate to the National Football League? Will it translate to the National Football League? Will he be able to do things necessary to be successful on the next level? And I think that is the question when it comes to Johnny Manziel. And let's look at let's 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 look at some quarterbacks over the years under six foot the under six foot club in the National Football League. Fran Tarkington, Hall of Famer, Drew Brees, probably going to be a Hall of Famer, Sonny Jurgensen, a Hall of Famer, Lynn Dawson, Hall of Famer. You know. Let's look at recent years. Michael Vick, he was a six he was six foot. And some of Tarkington was six foot as well. Drew Brees six foot. Y.E. Tittle six foot. Sonny Jurgensen was actually five of eleven. Len Dawson a lot of success six foot. Joe Theismann had a lot of success in this league six foot. Michael Vick six foot had some success. I mean did make did take his team to a, a, a conference championship game. Doug Flutie some success. Um, just looking at some names. Ty Detmer 
who was a six-footer. Doug Flutie was 5'10". Ty Detmer, Heisman Trophy winner out of BYU, did lead the Eagles to the playoffs. I believe it was at 96. Um, just looking at some recent years. So the bottom line is this. Bottom line is this. The NFL wants you to be over six foot. And that they, they want you to be six two, six three, six four, six five. They, that's what they want from you. They want you to have to have that size. That's the prototype. But great things can come in small packages, as we've seen last year with Russell Wilson. Great things come in small packages. So, obviously, the NFL wants you to be tall. And we'll see what happens with Johnny Menzel. We'll see. He's going to sit down with some GMs and coaches and scouts and things of that nature um, and try to impress them, try to try to, to ease some of their fears. That's what he's going to do. That's what it's all about for him. You look at now, another big story coming out of the combine is what's going to happen with Michael Sam out of Missouri. Before, before two weeks ago, no one even cared about Michael Zam. And reality is now, after those two, after he decided to come out and, and tell the world, that would tell the world the secret that many knew at Missouri that he is, in fact, a homosexual. The moment he came out with that is the moment that people started talking about Michael Sam, the moment that Michael Sam, his name, has been on the tip of everybody's tongue ever since then. Various stories coming out about Michael Sam. Bottom line, and I said it before, I'll say it again, is whether or not he can play. And I think also this is big for him. You know, here's the thing. Coming into this whole situation, a lot of people haven't rated between third and to, to possibly not going at all in this draft. So when you're in that particular situation, you have to impress. You have to get on there and, and run a nice 40 times. You have to go out and do those drills and show that you can do what coaches and scouts want you to do. You you have to be able to impress when you're in the situation Michael Sam's in to begin with. Now, I think even more so he has to impress because NFL GMs, as I said before, NFL GMs are going to be less likely to take a chance on this guy because of the possible distractions that may come to the locker room. So NFL GMs, are going to have some doubts when it comes to Michael Sam because I'm not going to say what happens on the field, but because of what the impact could be in that locker room. So from what I'm reading, in terms of what the scouts are saying, and we looked at it, I looked at it last week, but you know he had a three-game impact. And that was pretty much it. I think well, yeah, like ten. I believe it was ten of his sacks, ten of his eleven and a half sacks, were in a three-game span, four-game span, I believe. So, other than that, he really didn't do much. And then there was talk he was a tweener, too small to be a four-three down lineman, too small for that, and. In terms of being an outside linebacker, not necessarily good in space. And also, there was talk about him. You know, when you're when you're a third, fourth, fifth round pick, and beyond, sometimes one of the ways you can make a roster is through special teams. And some scouts aren't seeing that he can do work on special teams. They don't see that from him in terms of special teams. Maybe he could be a stand-up lineman, stand-up linebacker in a 3-4, pass rushing linebacker. Maybe he can be that. Maybe. But the, 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 the jury is still out on Michael Sam. So he has to impress with his 40 time. He has to impress with the drills. And he has to make an impression on NFL GMs that, hey, I'm not going to be a distraction. I, I think he has to put that out there. I think he has to show 
NFL GMs that, hey, I'm not going to be a distraction. This is just sexuality for me. It is what it is. I'm not going to be a distraction. And, you know, obviously, they, and, and, you know, GMs are going to have to get a feel for this guy to determine whether or not this is going to be possible, determine whether or not he truly won't be a distraction, determine whether or not he can handle an NFL locker room, especially with, with some of the things that may come his way. So this is going to be a big time for Michael Sam. It was a big time regardless before he made this announcement, and, but it's still it's even bigger after the announcement. A lot of attention is going to be on this guy. Heck, he's going to have a press conference. He's going to have a podium. People are going to talk to him. The press, the media is going to talk to him. That was never going to be possible. Now, that was never going to happen three, two, two weeks ago, two, three weeks ago. No one even cared about Michael Sam. Heck, probably most didn't even know who Michael Sam was. So it's going to be interesting friends. Jadavian Clowney, another guy. I mean, interesting comments by Steve Spurrier the other day on the NFL Network. Said his work ethic was okay. Okay work ethic. Um, so that's not a glowing endorsement in terms of, of his work ethic. I mean, that's not really an endorsement for his work ethic. So, you wonder now, Steve Spurrier said this guy's an amazing talent, an absolute amazing talent, but again, okay work ethic. Okay work ethic. Quote, even though his production this year wasn't near what it was last year, he had two or three guys waiting on him just about every play. His run defense is very good, though, and he chased down a bunch of guys and made tackles. His sacks, he had to run around two or three guys just about every game. I don't think teams will quite do that in the NFL, but we'll have to wait and see. Again, he was asked about his work ethic. Quote, he was okay. It wasn't like Marcus Lattimore, you know. Every player's a little different. His work habits are pretty good. They're not quite like Lattimore, maybe Stephen Gilmore, Melvin Ingram, and some of those guys. But when the ball is snapped, he's got something no one else has. So it sounds like what he's saying is he has amazing talent, superior talent, superior ability, but questionable work ethic. Questionable work ethic. Questionable. Okay work ethic, to quote Steve Spurrier. So, does that scare you a little bit? Does that scare you a little bit? And here's the thing. Here's the thing I also will say when it comes to Jadavian Clowning. A lot of people were saying, heck, this guy shouldn't even play a down of football, a down of college football this year, last year, the year that just passed. They don't believe he should have played a down of football. Heck, the bottom line with Jadavian Clowney, he could only hurt his stock. Couldn't really help it. He could only hurt his stock this year. His numbers were down from a year ago. The numbers were definitely down. But as Steve Spurrier pointed out, there was a lot of attention shown to this guy from offensive coordinators throughout college football. A lot of attention given to this guy. Only three sacks last season. Only three. And a lot of people are saying this guy is rating higher in terms of ability than, than Mario Williams out of Houston, Texas, who was the number one pick a few years back. So, obviously the ability is there. Obviously the, 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 the ability is there. Only thing you question, and Steve Spurrier brought it up, is the work ethic. I think that's the only thing you have to question. 
But at the same time, it could be a situation where, I mean, what what else did this guy have to prove? There's really nothing for him to prove this year. He he did everything that he needed to do. There was nothing for him to prove at all. At all. So at the end of the day, you're going to have to do your due diligence. You're going to have to talk to him, see where his head's at, see where his mind's at, and make your decision as an NFL GM moving forward whether or not this guy is, is the guy you want on your team. You're going to have to do that. And at the end of the day, you're going to do that with anybody, any player. And that's what these things are all about. You're going to be, these players are going to be poked and prodded. I mean, these players are going to be dissected. I mean, um, these GMs and scouts and coaches have already dis- dissected a lot of film. Now you're getting up close, up, up close and personal look at these guys. And you're going to dis- dissect them more when you talk to them. Break it down and see their mannerisms and, and, and see how to respond to questions, facial expressions. They're going to look at all these things. They're going to look at all these things. So it's going to be important for these guys to to go out there now, and, and I'm sure they've been getting work from their team, their agents, it's going to be important for these guys to, to go out there and, and say what they want to hear. Say what they want to hear. Say what you need to say. And I think these guys are going to try to do that. Whether GMs will be convinced, only time will tell. But that this is the NFL draft. We're only in February. This draft happens in May. So there's a lot that could happen in terms of off-the-field things. There's a, you know pro days. Things of that nature. A lot of things that can happen. It could change the face of this NFL draft. But it starts here with this combine. And it's going to be moving. It's going to be hot and heavy in the National Football League for the next few weeks and beyond. Speaking of staying in the National Football League, Ray Rice. We heard the story of Ray Rice and his fiance. Um, apparently, well, we saw the video, the elevator, where he was dragging her out. That didn't look good. That didn't look good at all. He was dragging her out of the elevator after she was knocked unconscious. Unconscious, I should say. There's also a video supposedly out there that shows Ray Rice hitting her and knocking her unconscious. Unconscious, excuse me. There's there's video out there that shows Ray Rice knocking, apparently knocking this girl out, knocking his fiance out, his baby mother, knocking her out. There's there's video out there. That, that shows that, apparently. But at the end of the day, I'm going to hold judgment here. Because, again, when, when this whole thing took went down, both parties were arrested. Both parties were charged. Now, as the investigation proceeds, that could change. But according to some reports, um, Janae Palmer, the fiancé of Ray Rice, apparently was the one who hit first. And again, as a man, there's no excuse for you hitting back. There's no excuse whatsoever. And at the same time, there's no excuse for her to hit him. No excuse for any of this. Both parties, from that that standpoint, are wrong. But Ray Rice being the bigger guy, being the stronger guy, he has to to walk away. But you can understand... I don't want to say agree, but you can understand that sometimes Ray Rice, is he's a guy involved in a very heated situation with a woman that he is in love with, a woman that he has invested a lot of time, effort, and what have you in, seemingly. So you can understand in a heated situation when she hits him, it almost could be a natural reaction to hit back. Not saying it's the right reaction. I'm saying it could be the natural reaction. Not right at all. A punk move. A punk move. To hit back. An absolute punk move. You don't hit women. Unacceptable. On any level. 
absolutely unacceptable on any level. But the bottom line is this for Ray Rice. It doesn't look good. That that video of you, you dragging around of the elevator like she was a piece of cattle, like she was cattle, like she was herd, like she was a, a piece of cattle. Almost like the way he was dragging around was almost like she was a deer that you slaughtered in the woods somewhere. I mean, that's the way it looked. Just dragging her out of the elevator. It doesn't look, that doesn't look good for Ray Rice. It just doesn't. It also doesn't look good that he apparently knocked her out. And obviously it doesn't look good. For anybody, both parties, because she, according to some reports, laid a hand on him first. Not a good situation at all, just an ugly situation all the way around. Ray Rice, being a bigger man, bigger person, stronger person, needs to, to walk away. He needs to walk away. It may not be easy, but that's a part of being a man. A lot of things as a man... That are not easy. A lot of things that you have to eat as a man that are not easy. That's one of those things you got to eat. And we don't know the circumstances behind any of it at this point in time. May never know. But I will say this, and I believe this to be the case when it's all said and done. This, this, I don't think anything will transpire from this. I don't think this will go far. I think what ends, what, what will end up happening is that these two are possible. They may have already reconciled, but they may they don't reconcile. Um, and at the end of the day, she'll back off. Their relationship will get back together. And even if they decide to charge or whatever they try to do in the courts, she probably won't cooperate, and this whole thing will go away. And maybe charges will be dismissed at the end of the day. Because here's the bottom line. If she goes back with them and this thing is still out there and she pursues these things, it's going to mess up his pockets, which in turn is going to mess up her pockets. So at the end of the day, if she's messing up his pockets, it's messing up her pockets, and at the, at the end of the day, that's not good for business. That's not good for the business of Ray Rice. It's just not. So the bottom is not good for the business of Ray Rice and, and, and Janae Palmer's fiancé. So the bottom line is this: this goes away in my mind. I, I I think this goes away. I think she won't cooperate. And they say this video is out here, but we haven't seen it. I don't think she'll cooperate. And I think this goes away. And also, from the standpoint, a lot of people are saying maybe the Ravens need to get rid of Ray Rice and, you know, suspend Ray Rice and all this other stuff. Bottom line, there's still an investigation going on. Still, still stuff that needs to come out before you can make that determination of whether or not the Ravens should, should cut Ray Rice. But if they were to cut Ray Rice, it wouldn't be a good situation for their cap. Bottom line, if the Ravens were to cut Ray Rice, they would, it would actually hurt their salary cap situation. So it, it, it wouldn't be a good situation for the Ravens cap-wise to cut him. The way his contract is structured, the Ravens would lose $5.5 million in cap space if they were to cut Ray Rice right now. If they waited till after June 1st, it would create $4 million of cap space. But it would create $4 million of cap space in 2014, but... In 2015, in terms of the cap, it would be a 9.5 million in dead money on the cap. And this is a guy that wouldn't even be there. So it makes sense for the Ravens to try to, and I know Jim Harbaugh, John Harbaugh came out and said he's going to stick by him. He doesn't see any, he doesn't see any way 
Ray Rice won't be on the Ravens next season. It makes sense for him to stick by him. It's purely dollars and cents. It's purely numbers. You get rid of him, five five and a half million dollar cap hit. You wait till June first, four million dollar cap hit for twenty fourteen, but nine and a half million dollar cap hit in twenty fifteen, and he won't even be there. Dead money. So from a financial point of view, it makes sense for the Ravens to hope that there's no bad bad stuff out there with this whole situation. Any more bad stuff out there. It would, it would make sense for them to try to work this out with Ray Rice in terms of not getting rid of, getting rid of him because I don't think they will. It's purely financial. It's a bad move. And you can even argue on the field it's a bad move even though he had a down year. Still a productive player in this league. A lot of teams would love that Ray Rice. So, from a business point of view, financially, salary cap, and from even a, a possible on-the-field situation because of his production, and he had a down year, but again, uh, I I don't see Ray Rice duplicating what he had last season, which was only 660 yards and only four touchdowns. I think he can get back to his his old self. I think he can get back to his old self. So on the field and off the field doesn't make sense for the Ravens to get rid of Ray Rice. Just doesn't. And And at the end of the day, where we stand today, this case still being investigated. Things will come out probably, maybe good, maybe bad, but there's more that has to come out. And you can look at Ray Rice, only 27 years old, so hasn't hit that 30-year mark, which is always not a good mark for, for a running back. But before last season, this guy, 2029, over 1,300 yards, seven touchdowns. 2010, over 1,200 yards, five touchdowns. 2011, over 1,300 yards, 12 touchdowns. 2012, over 1,100 yards, nine touchdowns. In each of those years, over four yards a carry, including 5.3 yards per carry in 2009. And then out of the backfield. Out of the backfield. I mean, 2009, 78 balls for 702 yards, 63 balls in 2010 for 556 yards, 2011, 76 balls, 704 yards, 2012, 61 balls, 478 yards. So the bottom line is this guy is producing. This guy has been productive over the years. The numbers will tell you that 2013 was an aberration. That's what the numbers will tell you. Bottom line is this. If you're the Baltimore Ravens, you hope this thing turns out all right. So you don't have to make the decision to cut Ray Rice. And I think you hope this thing turns right. Turns out right, not only off the field, but on the field. Not only with your cap, but with the production that Ray Rice can bring to your team. We'll see. This story is ever, this story's evolving. But I believe when it's all said and done, I'm making a prediction, nothing will come of this. This will be worked out by the parties involved, and they both will move on. Let's stay in the NFL now. Jim Harbaugh and the Cleveland Browns, according to a report, ProFootballTalk.com. A report out here says that Jim Harbaugh, the 49ers head coach, the successful head coach of the 49ers, the three NFC title game 
49ers over the last three seasons, including a Super Bowl appearance, 49ers, Jim Harbaugh. Well, according to some reports, profootballtalk.com, they were close, the Browns and the 49ers, to trading draft picks for Jim Harbaugh. They were close. The 49ers and Jim Harbaugh have denied this. But according to some according to that report, it was close. Draft picks for Jimmy Harbaugh. It was close, according to the report. Obviously, that would be a big-time situation for the Cleveland Browns to get a coach like Jim Harbaugh, one of the best coaches, one of the better coaches in football right now. His, his success speaks to that. Three NFC title game appearances, one Super Bowl appearance. His success speaks to that. So it would have been a great situation for the Cleveland Browns. Obviously, it didn't work out, and at this point, it is being denied by a lot of parties involved, all the parties involved. Cleveland didn't deny it. Cleveland didn't confirm nor deny the 49ers, Jed York, the CEO, and also Jim Harbaugh had denied it. So I don't know how true it is, but, you know, you say, wow, you're giving up all these things just to get Jim Harbaugh, but the Buccaneers did it. They got themselves John Gruden. So the Patriots did it, and they got themselves Bill Belichick. Gruden got the Buccaneers a championship. Belichick got the Patriots three championships. So we've seen it done, and we've seen teams have success after it was done. We've seen those teams who got those big-time coaches put those teams over the top. Gruden, Buccaneers were, were floundering, not not able to get under over the top with Tony Dungy. Gruden comes in and get over the top. Patriots had some struggles. They bring in Bill Belichick. Three Super Bowls later, later, the rest is history. So it is possible. They'll, they'll, they'll say, oh, wow, you're giving up all these things. Players don't win championships. I mean, coaches don't win championships. Players win championships. True, but a coach certainly helps as well. I mean, look at the New Orleans Saints last season. They were awful. Two seasons ago, they were awful. This season, much better with Sean Payton. Playoff team with Sean Payton. So, coaching means a lot. I also want to stick in the NFL. There's an interesting report out now that, that there is a possibility that the NFL could come up with a, a, a rule now that would penalize teams and players for using racial slurs on the field. So, I don't know, AA, I don't know how you officiate something like that. Um, obviously, the, end, the use of the N-word, or any other racial slur for that matter, it, it's, it can be excessive. And, and the use of it, obviously, is not good in my mind. But I will say this. On the NFL field, you know, guys are, 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 are talking. Guys are chirping. You're out there, you know, trying to get any type of competitive advantage. So guys are out there talking. That's hard to regulate. So what are you going to do? You got officials like eavesdropping on conversations? Oh, 15-yard penalty, you said the N-word. I mean, but where, where, I mean, how do you officiate something like that? And then, what if a player says Negro instead of the N-word? I mean, what, it, it, it's, it's difficult to officiate some, that, something like that. Oh, what if a, a referee says that a player said this when a player didn't say it? It's too difficult to, to do. I hope it doesn't happen. I mean, to me, obviously, you know, I, obviously racial slurs of, of any kind shouldn't be spoken, but it, it, it is spoken. And some, especially, you know, African-American to African-American, it's spoken. And for the, with that being said, while it may not be right, it is understandable. So I don't know how you regulate something like that. 
And I hope that's something that does not happen. I want to go back now before we get out of here. Granger and the move to the to the uh, Philadelphia 76 to the uh, Philadelphia 76ers. Evan Turner, Lavoy Allen going to the Pacers. Danny Granger going to the Philadelphia 76ers. Bottom line is this: I said earlier, this is a trade. This is a trade that could come back to bite the Indiana Pacers in the butt. And I'll tell you why. Danny Granger is going to get bought out by the Philadelphia 76ers at some point. At that point, Danny Granger becomes a free agent. And at that point, teams will have an opportunity to vie for the services of Danny Granger. At that point, teams like the Miami Heat, teams like the San Antonio Spurs, according to some reports that's out there, those are two teams that have interest in Danny Granger. Guess what? They're going to now have that opportunity to sign Danny Granger. Danny Granger could go to the Miami Heat at this point. Who are the Indiana? Who do the Indiana Pacers have to get by to get to the NBA Finals? More than likely, the Miami Heat. So this trade, while it may have strengthened you, may have also strengthened the Miami Heat when it's all said and done. Danny Granger, as limited as he has been, and he's still working his way back from his injuries, but. He still can shoot. The Heat had a player on their team that could shoot the basketball, the three-point shot. His name was Mike Miller. And Mike Miller hit a lot of three-point shots, big-time shots for the Miami Heat. Who could, remember, who could forget game five in the 2012 NBA Finals against the OKC where Mike Miller went crazy in that game? I mean, Mike Miller went crazy in that game against against OKC, and he was big in closing out OKC. Big. His performance was big. Seven three-pointers. Seven three-pointers against OKC in the closeout game. Seven. Now, you look at the Miami Heat. They're a team now who has slashers and and Dwayne Wade and LeBron James. Those slashers can kick it out to guys like Mario Chalmers, Shane Battier, and now even a possibly, even now possibly, Danny Granger. They have an extra roster spot, which they created by trading Roger Mason Jr. to the Kings. They have the extra roster spot. Danny Granger could fill that roster spot for the Miami Heat. And wouldn't it be ironic that if these two teams meet in the Eastern Conference Finals, which they probably will, Danny Granger is the one that prevents the Indiana Pacers from going to the NBA Finals. So not only could this trade, as as all the happy talk in Indiana about this trade, but this is the type of trade that could be, you know, you bring in Evan Turner, obviously you believe that makes your situation better. But in bringing in Evan Turner now, you have subtracted Danny Green. But not only have you, not Danny Green, Danny Granger, not only have you subtracted Danny Granger, but there's a possibility you may, by subtracting Danny Granger, you may have added him to the Miami Heat. You're number one competition in the Eastern Conference. So when it's all said and done, all the happy times in Indy about this deal, Charles Barkley coming out, this puts the Pacers over the top. At the end of the day, with all that being said, if Danny Granger goes to the Miami Heat, there is a possibility that this deal, at the end of the day, can come back and bite the Indiana Pacers squarely in the butt. We shall see. You can listen to this show and other great shows at blogtalkradio.com slash pgan where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at GoForItGant, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. Hit up our YouTube channel where you can hit, listen to various interviews, youtube.com slash user slash go for can. 
for everybody here at Go For It. We hope you have a great week. See you later. Take care. Bye.